Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Frontlines of Freedom podcast, brought to you by the Renew Democracy Initiative. I'm your host, Ivan Mawadire. You know, in my journey as a freedom and justice advocate, I've faced my fair share of brutality and pain. I've been strong and I've felt unstoppable, but in equal measures, I've also been tired and afraid. My guest today is an incredibly powerful woman who has single-handedly challenged the Islamic Republic of Iran. She has rallied the women of Iran to demand dignity and basic human rights. Masi Alinejad was almost abducted from New York City by the Iranian regime. Yet today, she is the biggest voice of inspiration for Iranians and people across the world. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Join us. I'm talking to Masi Alinejad, and she is an amazing woman. She is an advocate, uh, a freedom fighter. She is a rights activist, a women's rights activist, a human rights activist. Tell us a little bit about, about your journey. First of all, how did you get started? You have become one of the, if not the most hated uh, dissident or the, the most attacked uh, Iranian citizen uh, by her own government for demanding certain rights. I want you to walk us through how that journey began. How did you find yourself doing that? How did you start doing that? Look, I'm coming from a very, very tiny village. I grew up in a small village north of Iran. I learned to be a warrior. Yeah, of course, in a traditional family, in a very poor family, in a, in a dictatorship regime that I didn't have any uh, like books telling me how equality means, how discriminations mean, how you can be a feminist, how you have to fight against. No, nothing. I just had a little brother in my village and my brother was able to ride a bicycle. My brother was able to, to sing, to go to a stadium, to dance, to show his hair, to to be his true self. So I was watching my brother growing up like in a tiny village. Like I wanted to jump in my beautiful river in, in my village, but I was banned from all those activities that my brother was able to do it. Why? Because I was a girl. Wow, such a oh, crime. I, I was a girl. So Masi, just to put to put this into context, in Iran, it is against the law for women to ride bikes. It is against the law for women to sing in public. It is against the law for women to jump into the river and swim. It's against the law for you to show your hair. Is this what you're saying? Yes. According to the law, according to Sharia laws in Iran, if I ride a bicycle, if I show my hair, if I sing, if I go to stadium, if I dance, then I'm a master criminal. So that is why when I was just growing up in such society, I had to make a decision. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't even call it like I had to make a decision. I was just envying at my brother's freedom. I wanted to, to, to have the same joy, you know? And that is why I started my own revolution from my family's kitchen. Tell me about this. You started a revolution from your family's kitchen. One of the things actually I saw, because I'm just about to ask you, 
how you started that and just what the journey has been. I don't think there is enough time in one book to talk about the things that Masi Alinejad has instigated. But one of the things you say in this documentary I watched was how you became a woman of firsts in your family, in your village. And the first were not the best of firsts. Exactly, because in the West, when you say I was the first, it means that you're going to receive an award. Mm -hmm. I got punished for everything that I was the first. (laughs) What, What were you the first for? Walk me through the first you have. I was the first woman who got actually kicked out from high school in my village. I was the first woman who actually, that I got pregnant before getting officially married. So that was a huge scandal. And then I was the first woman who got actually divorced in my village. I was the first woman who became a journalist in my village. And then I was the first woman who got kicked out from Iranian parliament as a journalist. So all this happened to me. I, uh, I was the first woman who went to jail in my village. Oh, man. So for me, it was like, oh, my God, everything now I'm telling you, it just it, it, it could have just killed me or it could have just made me to commit suicide. Mm. I mean, that's why I'm telling you that I learned from my pain yeah. to be powerful. Yeah. And I actually learned it from my mother. You know, my mother was not a feminist, for sure. My mother is a tiny woman. She's not even able to read and write, mm. but she became my teacher. You know, Ivan, I grew up in a very poor family that we didn't have running water in our house. Mm. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have inside bathroom. And I remember that my mom, I was scared of, you know, like darkness. Uh, I, used, I, I had to go to the backyard garden and use the outhouse, which right. uh, was scary, which mm-hmm. was really scary. Imagine as a 10-year-old girl eight-year-old girl. So I remember I was really scared of the darkness. My mom used to tell me that if you're scared of the darkness, the darkness will swallow you all. Mm. Darkness will devour you. Mm. But instead, if you stare into the darkness, if you open your eyes as wide as you can, then the darkness will disappear. As a kid, I thought this is a fact. And I used to open my eyes as wide as I could. (laughs) And it worked. It worked. So I experienced a lot of darkness in my life Mm, mm. as a woman from the Middle East. So I learned how to defeat the darkness, open my eyes and go right into the... So you lean into it. Don't, don't back from the, the, the best way to deal with it is to, is to go, is to go into it. You, 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 you say something very funny, but so there's a lot in that statement. Um, and I've heard you say this, that, your your brother was scared to go to the to the toilet to the outhouse. Actually, the same brother who 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 was able to to do whatever he wanted to do. He was the king of the village. Because and this is because in in the culture in Iran, Islamic not, culture, not only the culture, the laws, the, the laws. laws. So they promote the boys. They give everything. So here he is, the king, the uh, the heir apparent. He has everything at his at his feet. And he's afraid of the dark. Of the darkness. And I used to tell him that, okay, during the night when you want to go and use the outhouse, you're scared of the darkness. Then I'm going to take you if you take me out with you during the day and let me ride a bicycle, let me to play football, let me to sing, let me to, you know, this is how I get. And even believe me, this is a still we have to do it now. 
Because in my country, Iran, it's 21st century, but women are not allowed to go to stadium. Mm. So I always say that if this happened in America, there's going to be a revolution. Mm. But in the Middle East, FIFA accept that. FIFA says, this is your culture. Come on, this is not my culture. Mm. So that's why I'm asking all the men that just, you know, ruin this, this mm. discriminatory laws. Tell the government that we're not going to go to stadium until the day that my sisters go. This is how mm. you change FIFA. This is how you change the regime. I actually said to my brother, you cannot go to stadium without me. You cannot ride a bicycle without me. If you're going to do that, okay, do it. Then I'm not going to take you to the outhouse. <laughs> As a kid. <laughs> As a kid, you forced your brother to choose between taking you to freedom or peeing in his pants. Of course, of course. Look, this is something that the whole world needs to do it. Look at women of Afghanistan. Mm, mm. Right now, you see a lot of women take to the street in Afghanistan to protest that we want to go to school. We want to be able to work. You know what my dream is? I want all men stop going to school. Mm. All men stop going to work. In Iran, all men stop going to stadium. Mm. I mean, is that too much to ask? I want FIFA to understand that. Oh, I want all the like women's rights activists around the globe to understand me. That stop legitimizing our oppressors mm. by actually going to stadium, by actually going to school when mm. your sisters daughters, your mothers, your girlfriends are not allowed to enjoy the same freedom, you're legitimizing the discriminatory laws. And I always actually, I get really, really angry when I see actually the feminists, the, like the female politicians go to mm. my beloved country, Iran, mm-hmm. they wear compulsory hijab and they bow to my government and they say that, look, you know, this is the law. We have to respect the law. Mm. Oh, come on. Slavery used to be legal. Mm, I see what you mean. And, and, and this is the thing I think that, that the, the point you're making for me here that's amazing is you, you, you have to, people have to understand the power of solidarity when it comes to these kinds of protests. I want us to just to go back. You had, you had opened a little window into your life and I want to open that window a little bit more. The revolution that started in your mother's kitchen. Tell me about how that started. And then I want to, as quickly as we can, journey through. Like I said, Masi's story is has so many nooks and crannies, so many avenues of things happening. And, 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 but I want to understand this beginning. In your mother's kitchen, how does it start? When I, when I grew up in a, in, a, in a village, as I told you, that it was really um, miserable. Like we didn't have, we had like black and white TV. And I remember that through that black and white TV, I used to watch um, all the clerics, all the mullahs telling me that your body is a sin. I mean, you, you're a shame. You have to cover yourself. If not, you're going to be hanged by your hair. If you don't cover your hair, then you deserve to be raped. You know, and this was to women? To, to girls, I, as, a, as a little girls. Oh, my goodness. Watching the mullahs through our black and white TV in my village, and they were talking to me. Oh, man. Why I use my personal story? 
Because even right now, mm-hmm. right now, full politicians in my country, the supreme leader, all the mullahs, all the clerics, they know me by my name. Mm. They are watching me through their own TV. So that's why I use my personal story. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, to, to, to tell people that, look, I was that little girl in the tiny village that watching those clerics talking about me. Now I'm the one making them to listen to me. Mm. So how I did that, I had a long journey. Right. I had a long journey that people were telling me that your story, I mean, your life doesn't matter. Your, your life is not uh, significant. You're, you're nobody. So I learned from my mother, as I told you, mm-hmm. that I have to be my own savior. Mm. I cannot wait for, for years and years for someone to come and save me. I have to be my own savior. Mm. Otherwise, if I'm a victim, the government, they're, they're really successful. But if at the, the moment that I decide to be a warrior, mm. to be a storyteller, to share my stories, this is the moment that the government is scared of me. So that's why, I mean, I'm using my story yeah, and I, yeah, I get yeah. lost. And no, I no, no, that- no, 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 no. And, and you know what? I, when, when, when I talk about your story having so many avenues and so many nooks and crannies, it speaks to, I think, the endless mindset that you have that says, I'm not going to stop until we find a solution and I'm going to try anything and everything to get to get this done. I mean, at one point, Masi, you were you were a a a a, a parliamentary journalist. You know, you said early on you got kicked out, and I watched you do do an interview with one of the members of parliament, and you did something that I actually stopped the video and I held my heart because I thought, oh my, what is wrong with her? And you were talking to him, and he was explaining to you through a question where you had asked about why it's illegal for women to sing. And he said, yeah, and he said, yeah, no, no, it's illegal. And then you said, but I have a beautiful voice. And then you started singing in front of him. This is the only way, Ivan, you can make those barbaric politicians to understand how, you know, uh, ignorant they are, how, uh, as I said, barbaric they are. I mean, that was a former president of Iran. I actually told him that, how come the women are banned from singing? So, and he was explaining to me that this is a fatwa by Ayatollah Khomeini. I don't really uh-huh. understand. And I, I told him that, but you've never heard of a woman singing and now you're talking that. And he told me that, oh yeah, I heard women uh, citing Quran. I said, hey, that's different. I'm talking about women singing. And I started to sing. Mm-hmm. So this is why I, I ask other women, if people tell you that you're banned from doing anything, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. This is the only way that we can gain back our right. Practice your civil disobedience. Look, even not only the clerics in Iran, even here in America, in Washington, D.C., I actually, I receive a death threat by my own government. One of the well-known Basiji, which was one of the uh, main uh, story of, of New York Times, was about him. This main character of New York Times' story um, sent the death threats to me, not directly to my Facebook or social media, not at all. 
he actually gave an interview to BBC and he told that I'm going to hire someone to butcher Masi Alinejad in New York. Are you, are you serious? Yeah. yeah, on live interview with BBC. What I did, I went to the Islamic Republic of Iran's interest section to Washington, D.C. I wanted to make an official complaint. Guess what happened? They didn't let me in. They said that first cover yourself and then come in. The reason that I received the death threats is just because I'm fighting against forced hijab. I'm saying that my body, my choice. This, this is the reason that I received death threats. And now you're telling me cover yourself and then come and make an official complaint about the, de- the person who threatened. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, man. This is in Washington, D.C. What I did, I did exactly what Iranian women do in the streets of you know, Iran. It's my civil disobedience. I went there and I said, I'm not going to cover myself. You have to protect my life. You have to accept my official complaint. They didn't. Instead, they, the, the officials called American Secret Service to save themselves from an unveiled Iranian woman. Oh, <laughs> For years and years, my government, I mean, Iranian government, called America great Satan. The biggest enemy. And now you're calling your biggest enemy the great Satan. To protect you world. against this this woman, this unarmed, sweet, beautiful woman that 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 is defying us here. Actually, I I was armed. My weapon mm-hmm. is my social media. Is my camera. My weapon is my camera. Mm-hmm. They have guns and bullets. They can kill you. They can torture you. They can execute you. They can arrest you. They can harass you. I can only practice my civil disobedience, and that is scares them. This is amazing, Masi. You, you said I was armed. <laughs> and my heart kind of jumped there for a moment because I thought, oh, my goodness, what are we talking about here? Oh, I, I cannot, and you were going, I cannot publish that. I'm going to cut this part. <laughs> but the thing is, I can identify with what you were armed with, because I did that in Zimbabwe, where I come from. I used my cell phone, and, and, and we created this powerful movement you today have a following that runs into the millions of men and women and all sorts of people all across the world. The most valuable audience you have, of course, is the, is the massive women's movement in Iran who stand with you. Could you tell me about, about White Wednesdays? What is White Wednesdays? Because it's a protest that you started, that runs till today, hated by the Iranian regime, but loved by women of all callings in, in, in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Tell us about White Wednesdays. Sure. Look, as I said, girls from the age of seven are forced to wear hijab. Otherwise, they won't be able to go to school and get an education. So I was thinking of uh, a way to get all those women who are, you know, willing to have freedom of choice to be united. So I picked a color. I picked white and um, I picked Wednesday because I was, you know, I had more free time on Wednesday. <laughs> so, and I said that every Wednesday, just, you know, just carry a white symbol to identify each other in public. That's all. Such a peaceful movement. No, the Iranian government actually arrested 29 women of White Wednesday's campaign only in one day. They announced that. It's not me saying that. They announced that. 
So why they crime was just wearing a white headscarf or waving a white headscarf in public, taking it off and walking while they're waving this like flag of peace. And that actually became a punishable crime. I mean, I'm being very honest with you because now I know that your heart is in Zimbabwe, but you live miles away from, from your own country. Sometimes you feel guilty, no? Sometimes you say, oh my God, I'm safe here. And they're putting my people in danger. That, that was the moment, Ivan. I felt, I felt miserable. The day when 29 women got arrested, I was walking in my garden and crying and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna stop this movement. Guess what happened? The day when Yasaman Aryani got arrested, when Sabah Kordafshari got arrested, I was like, oh my God, it's a shame for me. It's a shame for me. You know this feeling. First of all, when you said that you have the same feeling and you said you feel guilty because of what you, hey, this is what the government wants us to feel. They want us to feel guilty, but those who kill people should feel guilty. Those who execute people should feel guilty. Those who rape people should feel guilty. You didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, the day when I felt guilty, when I was like, oh my God, I want to, you know, yeah, I told you, I was like, I have to kill myself when my people are getting arrested and getting killed and I'm safe here. What happened? Mother of Yasaman Aryani sent me a video. Mother of Sabakor Afshari made a video. Mothers of those people who got killed made a videos and saying that, hi, Massey. We want you to be our voice. And I was like, this is the moment. I have to make a decision, feel miserable, cry, or actually believe that these people have agency. These people are the true leaders of change within the society. They just need someone to echo their voice. And the government want to actually break you down because they know that you're going to go every corner of the free world and telling all the politicians, shame on you if you don't listen to these people in Zimbabwe, in Iran. So that's why they try to make you feel guilty. When they arrested my brother, when they arrested my brother Ali, they actually made me feel like, like, a, like a, uh, a person who betrayed her own brother. You know how? They actually told my brother's children that, you see, Massey doesn't care about you. Otherwise, she's going to stop her work and let your father be free. That's the way that... So that's why, Ivan, you have to make up your mind. You're dealing with these master criminals from Zimbabwe to Iran, from Russia to China, from, you know, everywhere, everywhere, from Venezuela to, I mean, Nicaragua to every, I mean, everywhere, everywhere, no? See how the dictators are helping each other, how they're supporting each other, how they're united when me, you, and other people from different countries, when we get united, we morally support each other, we hug each other, we understand that this is the same tactics the dictators use to break us. Let's break them. Mm. <laughs> Masi, I love that. I just, I love the way you turn it around so quickly, where you say they try to break us, but let's break them. Man, that's just powerful. You... You spoke about your about your brother, and I've heard you describe him as your bridge, you know, your connector to Iran, to back home. 
And he's one person who has kept in touch with you over the years when you have had to be away from your beloved home of Iran. And I saw a video of him actually telling you not to worry and not to be silent should he be arrested. Tell us about where he is, what has happened to your brother um, uh, because of your work and his stance of just supporting his his, his beautiful Look, I sister. have to say that um, they broke him, you know, because they put him in prison for two years. He's not as fresh and as he needs his moment to find his because he was away from his two small children for two years. He was in solitary confinement for for seven months. So I'm sure he's going to get back to his, uh, you know, powerful moments again. But let me tell you something. Uh, they interrogated my 70-year-old mother to break me. They brought my sister on TV to disown me. I was watching my sister. 17 minutes on TV is a lot, Ivan. I was watching her denouncing me. When they put my brother in prison, I said, this is, this is, you know, this is, I cannot handle this. But I have a bigger family and I want to give you their, I want to tell you their stories. A mother and son both, they went in the streets to participate in a peaceful protest against the regime. Puya and Nahid, mother and son. The son got killed in front of his mother. The moment that the son got killed, his mother started to speak up. So anytime when I feel guilty or I think about my family, that now my brother is broken, now my mom doesn't talk to me, my father doesn't talk to me, my sister doesn't, I think about this family. Puyo's mother needs me. He ha she has a voice, but I have millions of followers. I can echo her voice. There's another uh, mother and son. Pejman was only 19 years old. Five bullets in his chest, they killed him. Five bullets. And I want actually to introduce Pejman's mother to you, Mahbube. You have to listen to her. How powerful she is. Just today, another mother, Sekine, her son got killed. And you have to see that her mother talks. It's like a leader talking. So fearless. She was saying, shame on you, the Islamic Republic. You cannot keep me silent. They broke into her house just today that I'm talking to you. Please remind me to send you her video. See her face. She's my mother. Sekine is my mother. Mehbube is my mother. Nahid is my mother. These people, Shahnaz, Hajar, these people, like the mother of Argentina, like the Broza Perks of Iran. So when you talk about my brother, I even, now my... Now I have changed. Now I feel guilty to talk about my own family because I think that my brother can find a way, can go to a therapist and be powerful again because now he's free from prison. Doesn't matter conditionally on parole. Doesn't matter. He's free. He has to find a way to be more powerful. You know, Masi, you, you know, as the host of this podcast, I'm, I'm supposed to keep it together. I'm just listening to, it's just, it's what you've been through, but it's how you turn it all around that you lost a relationship with your mother who, a 70 year old mother who they broke her. They, 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 they forced your sister to say things against you. 
But the way you look at it, you gained a bigger family. You have more mothers now. You have more sisters. You have more brothers. Now. And you don't know how much I love my mom. You don't know how much she loves me. You, my mom is everything to me, everything to me. But I found a way. I find, I mean, I told you there are many ways to show the government that you cannot break me. I'm going to break you. <laughs> oh, Masi. I'm just amazed at the kind of human being that you are. I saw a video on your documentary of these itty bitty little girls and they're, they're being recorded in a video and they're saying, Masi, I don't want to be forced to wear a hijab. And they're saying, Masi, I, I've heard you and, and I've listened to what you, and I'm not talking about 20 year old. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, they look five, they look six, these little girls. And I think to myself, this woman has cloned herself. Masi has created Masi's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, they, they came after me to kidnap me from New York because they're stupid. They think if they kill me, it's going to be done. They're Wait, did, did you just say they were trying to kidnap you from New York City? From Brooklyn, here, <laughs> here from Brooklyn, yeah. To millions of us Iranians, it's the reality. Taking hostage kidnapping dissidents, it's in the DNA of the Islamic Republic. Hey, the Islamic Republic actually, right after the revolution, they took 40, more than 400 American diplomats hostage. Of course, because of all the pressure, international pressure, they released American hostages, but they still taking hostages. Right now that I'm talking to you, American citizens are in Iranian prison. British citizen, Swedish citizen, French citizen, German citizen. Why? The Iranian regime take them hostage and use them like bargaining chip to get a deal, nuclear deal from the West. So they were trying to kidnap me here. I was not the first one. And, and two years ago, a journalist called Ruhollah Zam, he was tricked from France to Iraq. And then the Iranian government kidnapped him from Iraq to Iran and they, they executed him. He was the father of two children. They executed him and his crime was just being a journalist, giving voice to voiceless people. I remember, Ivan, right after they executed him, my poster was everywhere on Iranian television, Iranian media saying that, Masi Alinejad, you are next. This is the, in the nature of the Islamic Republic. We know that. And what bothers me, this is happening in front of the eyes of the free world who are desperate to get a deal with the Iranian regime, with my kidnapper. Mm. Uh, you know, talking about the free world and being someone who lives in the free world right now, what would, you, what would you say to just ordinary citizens of this country, of, of, of this society, about the way they view their freedom, the way they deal with their democracy? Is there, are there things you notice, the things that you see? That's a very good question. But as I always uh, use a story to make it more clear, let me tell you my story. When first um, I was invited to go to Oslo Freedom Forum by Gary Kasparov, my friend and the legend. In, yes, guess what happened? Many left and liberal uh, friends of mine were warning me. Masi, don't go, don't appear with Gary Kasparov because, you know, he's right wing. And he, he, he's like, I was like, wow, okay. 
But I met with him and everything that he was warning about Putin, it was like, it was like my words. It was like me warning about the Ayatollah. So for years and years, Gary Kasparov warned the whole world about the danger of Putin's regime. He has been ignored. What happened now? What happened? What, what's going on in Ukraine now? The war is in the West now. It's here. It's that close to all those who ignored Gary Kasparov. So for me, it's the same. I'm being warning the whole world about the danger of Islamism, about the danger of the Islamic Republic of Iran and Taliban. And they ignored me. They say that, you know, we, we have to negotiate with them. Instead of isolating Putin, they were trying to find a way to have a business with him. This is the same that they are doing the free world, the European countries, they're doing to us, to women of Afghanistan, to women of Iran. So for me, sometimes I, I, I really uh, think that they don't know that this is not my war. This is not Gary's war against Putin. This is not women of Afghanistan's war against Taliban. This is not women of Iran's war against the Islamic Republic. This is our war for democracy against dictatorship. And as Gary said, again, I want to say that it breaks my heart when I see that the free world give democratic titles to dictators like Putin, like Khamenei. It's unbelievable. Look, right now that I'm talking to you, my people are getting killed in Iran protests. The tech companies know that, that Iranian people are banned from using Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But guess what? They're giving platform to, to the, the, the dictators, the Iranian officials. So Khamenei is enjoying Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook while he banned 18 million people from using social media. This is free world. This is hypocrisy. Sometimes mm. I feel lonely, but I, look, I lost my family. I lost my friend. I lost everything that I loved. Oh, everything, not hope. Still, I'm fighting to get the free world to understand that. When you ignore Gary Kasparov, when you ignore all those people who are were fighting for years and years against Putin. Now the war is here. Now look where we are. Don't do that to us. Don't do that to us. I, 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 I hear that plea, uh, you know, from your heart. I, I'm, I'm, I'm once again just uh, really just in awe of the journey you have walked and the work that you have done. And um, many women uh, make videos of themselves now riding bikes and uh, some of them uh, make videos of themselves uh, at soccer games. There, there were women that went to a soccer game and they put on fake beards, uh, uh, you know, at a soccer game so that they could, they could be there. How does that, how does, how does that make you feel about not just what you have done, but about the, the hope of freedom in an oppressive place like Iran? Can I be honest with you? This is called true feminism. Women of Iran and Afghanistan are banned from every single rights, as you mentioned, from going to school, from riding a bicycle, from working, from feeling the wind in their hair, from choosing their own lifestyle, from traveling abroad without getting permission from their male relative, from singing, from having dignity. So, but every day you see how women are in front line. 
breaking all those discriminatory laws. This is called true feminism. Again, I have to say that, Ivan. I cannot, I cannot just keep silent when I see that women in the West, they can be a huge help to us. They can show their solidarity and sisterhood. They can hug us. They can, they can, they can, together we're going to be more stronger. They can do a lot. The dictators who rape us, girls in Iran and Afghanistan get raped. Why? Because age 13, they can marry. So this is rape under Sharia laws. People get executed if they criticize religion, if they criticize the leaders. People get lashes if they remove their hijab. I mean, it's unbelievable. People get arrested if they express themselves by those that the tech companies allowing them to enjoy freedom. And so they allow them to enjoy freedoms that they deny their very own people. It is a, a battle that you almost have to be fighting, Masi, where you are fighting the ones attacking you. And then you are also trying to get those that are supposed to be sympathizing with you to stop supporting the ones attacking you, to stop aiding them. I mean, some of them even not even not supporting, which is heartbreaking and really difficult, sometimes labeling you. Like, I, I grew up in a Muslim family. I love my Muslim mother. But when I criticized Ilhan Omar on Washington Post, I wrote an article and I said that your new legislation about Islamophobia is... Uh, dangerous because it can empower Taliban and Islamic Republic to keep us silent even in the West. I just ask Ilhan Omar to clarify whether criticizing Taliban and Islamic Republic is going to cause Islamophobia or not. Washington Post, thanks to Washington Post, they published my article, but I was bullied by Ilhan Omar's husband on social media. I was bullied by him calling me anti-Muslim. Wait a minute, a white man calling me anti-Muslim. You never, never, never lived under Sharia law. You don't know how miss, how I miss my mom. My mom is suffering under Sharia laws as well, my Muslim mother. And now you're telling me anti-Muslim? But I have to tell you that women now in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, and men around the world who are suffering under dictatorship, we know that one day we will get rid of dictatorship. One day... We are going to have democracy, dignity, and freedom. But the history will judge those who actually had the chance to be supportive, to echo our voice, but they rather go after, you know, the dictators and legitimizing discriminatory laws, legitimizing our oppressors. I want to ask about what you're involved in right now in Iran. And I know that you know, there's a, there are multiple angles to, to some of the things you're doing. What are you, what are you involved in right now in, in, in just continuing some of either the work you began before any of the new protests that are happening in Iran? Right now, Iranian people became their own leaders and storytellers. I mean, if you want to know what's going on in Iran, just go on social media and see how powerful they are using their mobile phone filming the oppressors, filming the brutality of the regime. Listen to the Mothers for Justice, a group of mothers whose children got killed by the Iranian regime. Listen to them. All they say is so simple. This is 21st century, and we want to have a secular democratic regime. 
we want to get rid of the Islamic Republic. That's all they want. There are massive protests across Iran. Iranian people are risking their lives. They have a simple message to the rest of the world. They want to actually get Biden administration, the European government to understand that if you don't support the people of Iran, the government, the, the Iranian regime are going actually after your own citizens as well. This is, I mean, this is the main message of Iranian people. But what I do, as I said for many times, I'm echoing the voice of Iranian people. I'm just giving voice to voiceless people. I know that the Iranian regime actually made a new law. The head of the Revolutionary Court actually appears on TV and saying that anyone sent videos to Masi Alinejad will be charged up to 10 years prison. Anyone who sends a video to you? Yeah, that doesn't stop people. People became their own media. But guess what? I remember the day when actually they said that I received videos from mothers they went to the same street holding picture of their beloved one who got killed by the same regime and saying that, Masi, be my voice. The regime killed my son in this street and I want you to echo my voice. So I'm telling them, I won't give up until the day that we get rid of the Islamic Republic. My fellow listeners, I am sitting here talking to an amazing, amazing woman Masi Alinejad from Iran. She's a citizen of the world. She is a voice to millions. They have called her all sorts of things. The woman with the wild hair, the ugly duckling, the all sorts of things. They don't know the end of the story of ugly duckling. <laughs> they don't, do they? That, they don't seem to understand that, that story. Well, I am excited that that story is unfolding before their very eyes, that you are causing beauty to appear in all sorts of places in Iran, that as you stare deeper and longer and more daringly into the darkness, more and more people are getting bolder and bolder. I love that analogy about staring into the darkness. Your mother, your mother, uh, your, I think, I think this is the thing is that a piece of your mother is is what causes you to do what you do today, that your mom has always been a fighter, has always been someone who encourages and strengthens and capacitates other people. And uh, I want to, to, to end this by recognizing her, by recognizing your family, by recognizing the, the power that she placed inside of you, and that even when they... When they, when they sat a 70-year-old woman down and they, they threatened her and forced her and tried to break her spirit. I'm going to go and hug the tree now. <laughs> like my mother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for actually ending this. I love my mother. Let's hug each other, my brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, Masi. Yes, a big hug to you too. And thank you for your inspiration. Don't forget, I'm going to invite you to Iran one day. You're going to invite me to Zimbabwe. To free Iran, That's it. free Zimbabwe. Thank you so much. And free the world. Thank you so much, Masi. God bless you. Well, I told you, you wouldn't be disappointed. Thank you for joining us today. And remember to stare into that darkness, into that fear. And find your courage. See you again next time. Bye-bye.